The Psalms, right, as we've thought about, help us give voice to our struggles, our sorrow, our worship, and our joy. In that respect, they provide a lot of insight into what the Christian life is like and is supposed to be. We often easily identify with the psalmist in his exact words as God helps us pray our experiences back to him as we read and sing the psalms. But what of Psalm 29? As may have struck you as we read, the psalm is not directly about our experience. It does not express a, a particular emotion. It does not wrestle with God about a particular issue like so many psalms that we've considered. In fact, the psalm is not really about us at all. This psalm is directly about God and his majesty. It is interesting, I think, fascinating that this psalm would be at this place in the Psalter. So, if you didn't know, the, the Psalter is divided into five books, creatively titled Book 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Book 1 includes Psalms 1 to 41, which means our psalm before us is part of this first book. So, Robert Godfrey has, has written one of the best books on the Psalms in print, and he has described how Book 1 is mostly... Psalms written by David, which means it's from the king's perspective. And now, as you've even likely picked up, as we have worked through some of these consecutive psalms around Psalm 29, a lot of them, they're mostly about David's distress. Even if they don't mention a specific uh, cause of distress, they still teach us something about praying through our struggles. So then, as we come to Psalm 29, which omits any sort of real reference to our experience entirely, what does that tell us? Psalm 29 comes like a shot in the dark with its unexpected, unflinching, bold emphasis right upon God and his majesty, the power of his voice. There are two major reactions that I want to consider as we think about the psalm in light of its odd, perhaps odd, placement in the book of Psalms. So first, I think some people might tune out when they come to a psalm like this one. There's a real temptation to let words pass in front of our eyes or roll in one ear and out the other as if we don't know what this psalm is about. We might dismiss psalms like this. And the question is, I mean, there's an assertion of the power of God's voice. That's good. Why, though, do we not reflect as hard upon a psalm like this as some of the others? Why? And I think at least one of the answers is that we tend not to be interested in things that are not about us. And so, this psalm asks us to consider 
whether we are interested in Scripture as a whole, because we think we are center, or if we appreciate that the Scripture because it reveals God to us. So I, I remember a Christian pop song that was well known in America, which was about the Christian life as a great adventure. Um, the opening words for this song were, I opened up the Bible and I read about me. Certainly the Bible says things about us and to us, but I'm not sure that we should approach Scripture with the primary emphasis on that it is a book about us. We should realize, really, how boring such a book would be. We are, we are far too easily fascinated with ourselves, though. Something like Instagram attests to that very point. We, we see how many people uh, we can get to ask us if they may look at pictures of us and our lives. How exciting it would be that people want to see me. And then we can come to Scripture with that Instagram mindset. Where is the bit about me? Where is the focus on my life? Where is the stuff that tells me practical things that I should do? The good news, really, is that the scripture is about something, someone, far more amazing than you or I. Scripture is about the God of the universe, but the God of the universe who has stooped down to address his people. That is a fact that should captivate our hearts and minds. We should do everything we can to set aside a fixation with ourselves and lose ourselves in this book about God. Now, that was meant, I suppose, to, to prompt us maybe to consider if there are ways that we might need to repent about the way that we, we think about the Bible uh, portions of it, that sort of thing. The second reaction I want to consider, though, in regard to reading this psalm with an emphasis on God and His majesty and the power of His voice, is, is the question about why God would put this psalm here where it is. In some ways, this is a curious location for Psalm 29. There are plenty of praise psalms that ascribe glory to God, uh, but many of them are, are gathered together in specific spots in this altar. So, then, what reason could there be for putting this psalm about the power of God's voice here in the midst of psalms about praying through distress? And I think the answer to that is that God knows what we need and stress better than we know what we need. The point that I'm trying to make is, is that God knows what we need in times of distress is actually not endless thinking about our distress. God knows that the best remedy 
for our distress is to think about God. Reflecting upon the glory of God, particularly here, the strength of his word, of his voice, is a far better salve for the soul with wounds of anxiety about the world than losing ourselves in the mire of thoughts about an anxiety-causing world. Our God is far bigger than the world and its calamities. And so as we look at this text, verses 1 and 2 form an initial call to worship. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. This call focuses our attention on the one true God. In the context of the progression of the surrounding psalms, however, this is not a flat call to worship. This is a reminder that in the midst of our distress, we must lift up our heads to ascribe glory to the living God. We must fix our eyes and our hearts upon something much greater than our present moment of trial. So then in the next portion of this psalm, verse 3 to 9, tell us why we need to ascribe glory to God. God is the one who is mighty over the things that seem so daunting in this world, and he is mighty simply by the power of his voice. So verses 3 and 4 state God's power over the waters, over the weather. Israel was not a seafaring nation, and the threat of thunderstorms is all frightened people, even to this day in many places around the world. And yet God's very voice has control of those very things. The things that may have been most terrifying to this psalmist, at least as features of creation, things over which he certainly had no control, were nothing next to the power of God's simple voice. Verses 5 and 6 state God's power over the earth, earth's strongest materials. So, so Lebanon was, was known for its immense forests, whose cedar trees were excellent for construction. Even these trees that were perfect for building ships, fortresses, palaces, and temples, uh, that symbolized the power of a, of a competing nation against God's people of the time. These are no match for God's voice. And verses 7 to 9 remind us that all creation is under the power of God's voice. And his voice will tear with tremendous force, even through those things that seem overwhelming to us. And so we see that these verses, this central portion of the psalm, focus our attention on the power of what happens when our God speaks. And in light of that, I, I want to focus our attention a, a bit more specifically, a bit more closely on verses 10 and 11. So let me read those to you. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. 
the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is a fitting conclusion to this psalm, isn't it? It, it, it reiterates God's kingship even over the hardest things that creation could conjure. And I want to focus you in on, on verse 11. So I hope you have that open in front of you and, and put your eyes upon the text there where, where David states that in light of God's kingly power over all things, God's people can have strength and have peace. There are many very difficult things going on in all of most people's lives right now. It's very easy to feel incredibly overwhelmed. And yet, we see in this psalm that our need is not more reflection on things that trouble us. Our need is to consider our God at length. It is God himself who grants strength and peace. And so it is to God that we must go to find strength and peace. Christian friend, let me commend to you this week that if you feel overwhelmed in the days ahead by the fears you face, we'll call someone from our church. But call, call them and discuss one of God's attributes. Now, I'm not saying don't talk about your trials and struggles. That's not what I mean. I'm not saying don't do that. I am simply saying that in addition, as part of that conversation, speak about God. Do not let your speech rest in your fears, but push it forward to God himself, whose voice can conquer our fears. Just like the Psalter has this interruption about God in the midst of praying through our distress, we need an interruption about God in the midst of our distress. We saw even this passage come fulfillment, as Reverend Pearson explained Luke 8 to us not long ago. We saw that as the disciples were full of fear about a storm, and yet Jesus, who is God over the storm, calmed the storm around them. It is amazing how their distress about that situation melted away as they observed what God the Son did for them. Their attention was shifted to something far greater than an approaching storm. I, I hope that we can be like that. As, as the storms of life boil to a tempest around us, let us flee to Christ to watch him put them to rest. Let us tremble and be amazed at our God 
rather than the things of this world. Christ indeed is our King who rules and defends us as Savior. He is worth trusting in the midst of turmoil because He is the magnificent God who can put our troubles to rest. And for that we give praise and we turn to God to pray that he would do exactly for that in Christ. Pray with me. Father God, we do know that as we look around the world, uh, wherever we may be in it, most of us are in London, but some of us are not, we do know that there are many things that easily could frighten us. We know that it could be easy to be overwhelmed by various things going on. We know that it could be easy to be overwhelmed by our jobs, by health situations, by chaos erupting in many places about issues of injustice and, and in ways, some ways creating new injustice. Um, and that is a frightening thing. What, what would we do? Well, God, we see in this psalm that the first thing we need to do is be amazed at our God. We need to see how incredible you are. We need to repent of the times that we have been interested more in ourselves than in you. And we need to flee to you for help. Not because we think it helps us feel better, but because you are the God whose voice tears apart everything that could cause us to fear. We are glad that you've given us your word your written voice. And we rejoice that we can reflect upon it. This immeasurable resource of power. Not to accomplish superficial things, but to overcome death itself even. Certainly even physical death, as you will raise us all in our bodies. But perhaps more profoundly spiritual death as you bring us to life to trust in Christ. What an amazing thing you do through a book. And if you can overcome that spiritual death, that very rebellion against you in which we entrench ourselves as unbelieving rebels, well, God, then you can do anything. You can overcome anything that faces us in this world. And we pray that you would. We pray that you would help our essential workers we pray that you would be with those who are struggling to find work. We pray with those who are in distress, who feel overwhelmed, who feel angry at the things going on in the world around them, who, who feel angry at other things, who, who feel as if they have nowhere to plant themselves, who feel lost and isolated. We pray for those in distress. And we pray that you would remind them that, yes, we need to pray through our distress. And yes, the church needs to come to encourage them. But also, they need to let their distress be interrupted by God. By you. Give them a God interruption. Show them your majesty. And redirect their thoughts. All of our thoughts, even. From our distress to our glorious God, who speaks to us in his word and speaks to us definitively in Christ. 
you have given as our Savior, guaranteeing that our prayers are heard before your throne. And we come bringing them now, knowing that this is a time when we need grace to help in a time of need. So, hear us as we come, seeking your face in Christ, because in him we have forgiveness, and in him we have a powerful Savior. And so we pray in his name. Amen.